Good evening, Cuse Nation. Welcome to the season finale of the Upstate Orange Podcast on FingerLakes1.tv and YouTube. I'm Jim Sinecropi, live inside the FingerLakes1.com studios in downtown Seneca Falls, New York, for a special Wednesday night evening edition on April 6, 2016, and the Syracuse season came to a crashing halt in the national semifinal game against North Carolina on Saturday. The Lady Orange made it all the way to the title game. Caleb Joseph and now Chinoso Aboko, in case you haven't heard earlier today, transferring. And uh, how will the 2016-17 edition of the Orange look? We'll talk all about it tonight for one last time this season with the professor Brad Connor holding on the line. The Upstate Orange Podcast is brought to you by Generations Bank with locations in Auburn, Farmington, Geneva, Phelps, Seneca Falls, Union Springs, and Waterloo. Be sure to check out their mobile banking app or visit them online at mygenbank.com. Special thanks to all the good folks over at Generations Bank. Without their support, we wouldn't have had uh, the ability to bring you these 20 episodes this winter that we've produced. And uh, this would be, I think, 21, so... I don't know if you've been keeping track, Brad, but uh, how's it going tonight? Fantastic, Jim. Hate to hate, hate to end the show, end the season, but um, didn't expect to be having our final show in the month of April either, so that's good stuff. True, and it makes it easier to say goodbye to college hoop season when it's warm out. Now it feels like you know we're still in the middle of winter up here in the Northeast. How's the weather where you are in Cincinnati? Uh, not that great. I went to the Reds opening day on Monday, and uh, in the seventh inning, it was down to about 40 degrees. <laughs> not, not too much fun. It didn't seem like spring. Well, last time we talked, I think I, we we did the show for Myrtle Beach, and, uh, man, we were riding high off of two of the best Syracuse games in recent memory, and that kind of came crashing down on Saturday night at the Final Four. Um, I guess right off the top, before we get into the Big Five topics, um. The game was disappointing because of the three times we played them, that was probably the worst that we played. Uh, Mike Benajay just couldn't find his rhythm, and Tyler Lydon didn't play too well. Trevor Cooney, great game for his senior uh, finale, his final game uh, for Syracuse. But, uh, yeah, in the end, I wanted that Syracuse-Villanova final so bad, but uh, what was your takeaway from Saturday night? Disappointing? Similar, yeah. I mean, it it would have been great to have Syracuse uh, Villanova in the finals, uh, just like Biggie's days gone by. But it, it, Carolina is just a better team, and there was no getting around that. And you know, you could make the argument that Virginia was a better team than Syracuse, and Syracuse forced them into you know a, a bad night, and that's how we were able to get past them. Carolina has got too many weapons, and I think that the issue was they just had too much size and between Leiden and, and Coleman. Coleman didn't play much, and, and even when he was out there, didn't play great. And Roberson never uh, never seems to score against a team like that because he can't, you know, his bread and butter's put backs, and he can't do much of that against a team like that. And, you know, between, you know, Bryce Johnson and Kennedy Meeks and Isaiah Hicks and Justin Jackson and Joel James, I mean, they just throw so many bodies at you with so much size and that was a just difficult matchup for Syracuse and it was all season all three times and they you know they played him played him better the first two times so I think that was the disappointing part is it would have been nice to see that game come down to the last two or three minutes at least and you know we never really got that far but 
you know, this, <laughs> the team's been, uh, you know, a little bit on borrowed time, it almost feels like, for sure. a while. And, you know, it's it, it's great that they were able to get as far as they did. I don't think it was a reasonable Syracuse fan could have expected that, that we would have beaten North Carolina. But, God, that would have been fun. Yeah, and I thought we were making another late charge. We got it down to seven, but Marcus Page just kept uh, answering. And, yeah, you know, right now it, it still stings a little bit, but, uh, you know, as we move into the summer and we start some of the conversations I have with people about college basketball and, and um, you know, the Syracuse program and Jim Beheim, you know, we got a Final Four. We got two Final Fours in the previous uh three seasons so you know it's uh you know three elite eights in the last five years two final fours in the last five years um just getting to the final four this year was a huge bonus something that really has hardly ever happened to Syracuse um so good for us good for the team we'll talk about it we'll talk about uh, next year as we get, get into the show tonight but uh, gotta also give credit to the Lady Orange I tell you I enjoyed watching that run almost as much as is the men and to be honest with you last night's UConn game I was really excited for and and it was the first time I ever watched the SU woman where I felt similar frustration to maybe sometimes when I watch uh, the men and I don't know Brad if you if you watch that game last night but I was disappointed because they just didn't make shots that they normally did early and just dug themselves into a hole amazingly they go on a 16-0 run against the greatest, you know, a team that's won 74 in a row. And you just think maybe on an, another day they might have had a chance. But, um, yeah, it was, it was a great season for them. And certainly I don't know if it's, it's something that we want to start following weekly on this podcast, but they should be very good next year too. Yeah, it was fun to watch. I, uh, I will admit to not having watched much girls uh, women's college basketball <laughs> um, this season or ever. It's a fact I didn't even realize until the final four games that they played four quarters and not two halves. I'm kind of embarrassed to admit that, but um, you know what they did in the in the you know in the final four and the semis against Washington. I mean, they just they they, they looked like UConn in that game the way they just ran over ran over yeah. Washington. I mean, just draining threes. It, but it felt like the. They they were very reliant on the three in the semis and and they were hoping that translated into the finals but it's tough to make to to shoot that way in two straight games I mean, we just saw Villanova do it which was shocking to probably everyone in terms of the their efficiency from behind the arc but um, you know I think for Syracuse to have been in that game last night they would they would have needed an outstanding game from you know behind the arc and they just and they you know they couldn't rebound either i mean uconn's got so much size and and you know they didn't get any offensive rebounds um and you know unfortunately the one that got away and you know the brianna stewart from north syracuse and then mm-hmm. you know beating her hometown team it would have been nice to uh have had her for the last couple of years yeah i think it would have been a different outcome uh but really an amazing story for coach q quentin hillsman to build this program kind of so quickly into a team that can just breeze into the national title game and uh most of those girls will be back next year so should be fun. Yeah, great great for them yeah i, mean, I think they've created a reputation for themselves and you know it's a it's an appealing style you know the style mm-hmm. they play is <laughs> one that we would love to see the men play i mean they get out after it and they play a wide open style and you know shoot you know they don't care about the shot clock they're just putting it up and getting down the floor and you know pressuring from one end to the other and you know creating steals and turnovers and you know coach Q is a, he's a character and it's fun yes. to watch him on the sideline 
I think it, I think they'll 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 do a nice job. I think this is the this is the kind of season that a coach can really translate into a very effective recruiting season, not only this year but you know next couple of years, and you know point to this this season as as one to really you know as a jumping off point for for potentially you know a great future uh, at the school. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how attendance is affected next year because that's one of the big things this year they they were very good all year long um ranked and all uh but you know nobody was turning out and when those that did didn't seem like anything in that cavernous carrier dome uh you know when you draw two thousand people to the dome for a women's basketball game it 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 just looks empty so yeah i think it does them a disservice to play games in the dome i mean when they're able to play at manly i think that helped them i mean i think you know it's 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 almost like when you play high school games in a you know big arena like that. It, it, you know it's fun for the players, but for the you know it doesn't create the type of atmosphere that you hope to hope to create. And um, unfortunately, that's kind of the only option that's out there anymore. So, one last time this winter, big five topics. Let's get it rolling. And it's hard to believe, but Trevor Cooney will no longer suit up for Syracuse. It seems like it's been forever, and and. I'm really happy that he was able to cap his career with this run and playing pretty well in the tournament. He played great in the tournament. It's kind of how we wanted him to play all season. And uh, and then Michael Benajay, you know, kind of came into our lives as a transfer out of Duke and was a little disappointing early and just turned into an amazing uh, talent. And when we talk about this Final Four you know, we'll always remember Trevor Cooney and Mike Benajay, you know, the two senior backcourt uh, mates. And um, uh, it's tough for me to say that I'm going to miss Cooney. I'm going to miss Benajay. Um, it's almost in a way exciting to see Syracuse maybe play without Trevor Cooney on the roster. And again, that really isn't uh, proper, I suppose, to say it. Trevor Cooney's a hardworking kid, and he's uh, really given it all for Syracuse. Um, but, man, one of the most frustrating players, you know, in recent memory uh, to watch. But uh, that frustration level was low in the postseason, and, you know, I don't know if these these two guys are really hard to even rank. You know, usually when when guys leave, we like with Rat Christmas, we were like, where is he ranking all time Syracuse players? These guys are difficult because Minajay came in late, really only had two good seasons, one great season, one good season, and Cooney just by sheer volume, you know, is going to be up there in the statistical rankings of of all time Syracuse players. I have trouble putting either one of these guys in, in uh, into the top 20 or 25 uh, all-time great Syracuse players, but I think they'll both be finally remembered for what they did over the past few weeks. Yeah, it, it, when, when you think about the great Syracuse teams, you know, I, think about the Final Four teams in, you know, in, our, in our lifetime, and, you know, you think of 87. When you think of teams in the Final Four, you think of – the great players on those teams, first and foremost. Like, if you close your eyes and think of those teams, you know, in 87, you think of Sherman Douglas, you think of Ronnie Cycle, you think of Derek Coleman. You know, that, that, those are sort of the names that come to mind, and when you visualize that team, you picture those three guys doing, you know, tremendous things. You think about 1996, and you think of John Wallace, 
foremost. And you think of Lazar Sims around the show, and you think of Sapola's shot against uh, against Georgia. Like these are the things that kind of stand out. You think of 2003, obviously. You think of Carmelo, and you think of you know McNamara going crazy in the first half of the finals, and you think of Kim Works block, obviously. You think of 13, and you think of of Michael Carter Williams. You think of C.J. Fair, you know, being outstanding, and you know, and and you think of you know Brandon Trish doing you know just a solid you know four-year guy. Those are the things that kind of stand out. When you think of 16, you're going to think of Trevor Cooney and you're going to think of Michael Benajay. Those are the two guys that are going to stand out in your mind. You probably won't think of Richardson as much. You'll be like, man, he had a great game against Virginia, but that you know, that's that's he was up and down, and you're not going to think about Roberson probably as much. And you know, so it's 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 those two guys, like it or not. I mean, they and they go down in history in this program for this season, for that Final Four run. They are the two guys that that got us there, um, and and so they have to be perceived favorably just for that reason, because they the two of them led this team to one of the five seasons that that you and I will always remember for this program. Yeah, and and we said it before. Now Trevor Cooney, two Final Fours, you know. P- played on the court Coleman was on the roster for both but Mbinijay was sitting out his transfer year the last time we went but Cooney played you think of the great the great players in this program that never played in the final four you you think of Lawrence Moten never played in the final four Mm -hmm. you think of you know uh, Johnny Flynn uh, you know you can go the list can go (laughs) on and on Washington or Raphael Addison yeah you know these are great great players that never sniffed the final four yeah, and Cooney had two of them. So, yeah, that's why it's hard to to rank them. You know, if, if Billy Owens had gone to two Final Fours, he would be by leaps and bounds the greatest Orange man ever. But, uh, you know, I got some stats here. Cooney, an interesting fact about Cooney, 12 block shots in his entire career. For all the minutes he logged, he blocked 12 shots. And, that's, and the, the unfortunate thing is, he's a far better athlete than anybody recognizes. That yeah. he can he he is a he he can jump, he can get up. He he's a he's a, a smart defender in terms of being able to time stuff. And he just never really <laughs> never really played inside. Yeah, or got out on the shooters quite quite good enough. Well, there's that too. Yeah. Um, but he shot he shot thirty three point seven percent from three. Michael Benajay shot thirty eight point seven percent. So Cooney, this all time shooter, um, you know, wasn't even the fourth he wasn't even in the top four percentage wise of three point shooting on this team this year. Right. Which is kinda wild. Um and, and we've been saying that for a while. He's the the third or fourth guy you'd want to see out behind the arc launching a three. And then, um, and, and and to me, that's why this postseason run. And so, I don't know, something just clicked with the guy, but he was taking it off the dribble that much more in this in this postseason. And whether it was Beheim finally, you know, reading the riot act in that pit game after sitting him down, and maybe something, right. you know, something clicked. Wish he'd have seen it, you know, two three years ago. But he, you know, he got away from being pretty one dimensional. I think, and I've read a lot this past week or two you know i've read everything imaginable about this team leading up to the final four and sure. you know one of the things said he he watched video of himself and he was he was easy to guard he was he was predictable and that's the last yeah. thing you want to be able to say as an offensive player yeah he really filled the role that we all hoped he would play on this team and and for me it was never i didn't want to see him be a a shooter i wanted him to shoot less and just and play more and take it to the rim and 
he made layups, you know, at a higher rate than he did uh, throughout the season in the tournament. And yeah, when it's all said and done, you know, five, six, ten, fifteen years from now, when we watch clips of this Final Four, I'm sure we'll remember Cooney and Mike Benajay um, favorably. And it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what type of career Mike Benajay has at the next level. Any predictions on NBA future for for Silent G? I I think it's the best thing for him to have played point on this team as he gets out into the NBA and he you know he's not I don't think he's he's got the size to be a, a contributing you know certainly a four you know he can play three because he can extend but um, you know the, even those guys nowadays are you know a lot just just big just big physical specimens and you know he's he's a little bit more wiry that um, you know he can play the two um, you know it remains to be seen if he's quick enough to be able to beat elite NBA defenders off the dribble so I'd like to see if uh, how, how well he can do there and a lot of it just depends on you know where he goes and how he fits in you know he'll be a, he'll be at best I think late first round probably second round a lot of that just depends on what type of situation you get yourself into. I mean, you know, we we can all remember, you know, Johnny Flynn, Johnny Flynn coming out, you know, his sixth sixth pick, I think he was, and we just went to a awful, awful situation in Minnesota, and that really mm-hmm. set him back to the point where you know he couldn't make a career of it. And you know, in a lot of ways, that wasn't his fault. <laughs> he had an injury problem with his hip, but he just it just went to a bad team. You get stashed on the on the Spurs, and you can make a make a great career. You know, it's just some of it's just dumb luck. Yeah, oh yeah, no doubt about it. And um, and we're going to talk a little bit about Malachi Richardson's uh, decision coming up here, and really the rest of the show is going to focus on next year. Uh, as soon as the season ends, I tend to immediately look towards next year and start to figure out what the roster is going to look like and, and and speculate on how good the freshmen that are coming in are. So um, start with the transfers. See you later, Caleb Joseph and Chinoso Boko, which, you know, the amazing thing about the program right now for Syracuse is we, yes, we've had the scholarships taken away by the NCAA, but we've also had five scholarship players transfer out in the last two years. I mean, we've totally missed on a lot of, you know, prospects or recruits that have not worked out. And it's amazing that we've been able to, we were able to get to the final four considering that we've had five guys transfer out BJ Johnson, Ron Patterson, Joseph Aboko, who's the fifth I'm I'm missing? I'm missing one more. Maybe it was Christian Christian White also transferring. Christian White, yeah. <laughs> um and and unfortunate what the NCAA did to him. He, Christian White he could not go to another D one school that offered computer science as a major because Syracuse offered it. So his choices of where to transfer were limited. So he had to go to Division II Pace to continue in his studies in computer science. So, so hypocritical on the NCAA. They talk yeah. about student-athletes. and I mean, this, this isn't a guy trying to exploit the rules. This is a guy trying to he's a, you know, be a college graduate, trying to get some playing time at a, you know, a school where he might be able to further his education and actually play a little bit. Yeah. And the NCAA says, no, you can't do that. Well, yeah, it's... Uh, 
it's mind numbing, you know. Uh, but we could go off on a tangent on the NCA. But let's kind of talk about. Let's start with Caleb Joseph. Uh, I'm a little disappointed. I think um, I was impressed with his attitude and his camaraderie uh, with the rest of the team after you know basically being relegated to the bench after starting last year. And in the back of my mind, I was hoping, you know, maybe maybe he's going to, you know, put it together and by the time he's senior, really be able to help this team. And really going into next year, we're, we're kind of thin at the guard, especially if Richardson decides to bolt. So, while I was never a big fan of what he did on the court, you know, he always hoped he'd develop. And I was really impressed as we went through the Final Four here. Um, just, the, just his general demeanor um, never seemed to get down. And so I wish him the best, and I also am a little concerned. I've heard, you know, talk or rumors, I suppose, that he really wanted to stay at Syracuse. He liked the school. He wanted to get his degree there, and that he may have been kind of pushed out the door, you know, by the coaching staff to make room for, for other players, which I understand in this day and age it's uh, very competitive, especially with our limited scholarships. And it's a big-time program, a lot at stake uh, financially. But uh, I, I'd like to think that's not the case. But, uh, you know, so long, Caleb Joseph. Do you think he ever could have developed into the type of player that may have helped us, you know, even a little bit? Yeah, I do. I don't think he was a terrible player last year. He was he was a freshman thrown into a difficult situation. Yeah. But, I mean, he was he, he started almost every game last year for a team that won 18 games. I mean, in, in the ACC. I mean, that's not... That's not terrible, you know. I mean, he 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 certainly wasn't an all all league player, but he was a freshman and did some good things, um, you know. But needed to be seasoned, and Bayheim had no patience for it this year, none at all. He was he was he was coaching out of an extreme sense of urgency this year, which is great as a Syracuse fan. That's exactly what you want, but it doesn't feel like Coach Bayheim had any sort of long term view of any of anyone on this program of anyone on this team. He, he wanted to win, and he wanted to win right away, and he didn't care about developing guys. And Caleb Joseph is a guy that needed to be developed, like right. you're not. You know, that's a guy. You know, even even as a you know a, a sixth grade coach or a high school coach. I mean, you you play your younger kids or your worst kids with the with the objective of making them better. And practices solely practices aren't going to do that. It seems like Jim Beheim gave up on this guy. You know, once once ACC season started. Um, and and just gave him no chance. I mean, this is a guy. He didn't score a single point in ACC play, not yeah. one. He played 18 minutes total in ACC play. Yeah. And you're, I mean, he he you you could have thrown him in there. They beat Wake Forest by 30, and he he played four minutes in that game. They beat Notre Dame by 15, and he played one minute in that game. Almost his uh, almost a slap in the face. Yeah, yeah, that's terrible. So I and, and, and so he. You know, he's he's he's, fraxing. he's you know, by all accounts, a good team guy. No one's ever had a bad word to say about him, but he but he couldn't get into games, and so I think the writing was on the wall. I, I mean, you can't you can't blame the kid. I you know, it, it's it's com- commendable that he had a good attitude through it all. And you know, I was thinking the exact same thing you just said, Jim. Was you know, it's to see him on the bench. He's a, you know, very engaged and part of the team, and was as pleased as anybody that this team you know made the run they did. But I I do think too, you know, say if. They probably didn't, you know, overtly force him out and say, "Hey, you need to you need to find someplace else." But they, it wouldn't shock me at all if they said, "Hey, look, we've got you know, 
Ty's battle coming in. We've got Frank Howard, who's who's going to be our um, probably our point guard next year. You're going to have to, you know, do some very different, significantly better things in order to crack this lineup. And he, you know, looks in the mirror and says, you know, I could do all these things and still get shafted on the, yeah. on playing time. So maybe it's better that I do go elsewhere. And so while they didn't say, hey, you you better find someplace else, it wouldn't have shocked me if they sort of said it without saying it. Well, you know, we're going to look at next year's roster coming up here, and we're going to see that we're pretty thin at guard, and there would have been opportunity for him, I believe. But uh, Chinoso Aboko, a little more crowded there on the front court. And, you know, with a guy like him, I say, why why do we recruit this guy if we're not going to develop him? He had, he showed flashes. He had an 11-point, uh, seven-rebound game this year. Um. But again, not much time and, you know, just a wasted opportunity for Syracuse, you know, a wasted recruit. And he, and and the other thing about this kid, he graduated, he's only a junior and he graduated and he's got two years of eligibility left, but he's got his degree and now he's on to grad school, um, which in that, so when he transfers, he won't have to sit out. So it'll be interesting to see where both these guys land and, uh. As far as a Boko, I'm a little disappointed. I thought at worst he could be a 10-minute-a-game guy, you know, coming off the bench, filling up the center of that zone. Yeah, I think part of, you know, if you're if you're a big guy, I don't think Beheim will spend much time with you if you, if you can't defend in the inside of the 2-3, and I think that's where, where he struggled. I don't think he was as quick to identify what was happening in the zone and, you know, shifting with it, and, and you know, you... I mean, you see that with with Coleman. He, you know, he if he doesn't drop down and guard the low block when the ball, you know, rotates, he's coming out you know, within the next ten seconds. And so uh, he he Coach Beheim had even less patience with Aboko, and and I I just I don't see that changing. You know, credit to him that he saw the writing on the wall because I you know I don't think he would he would play even less next year when you have you know Chukwe coming in that you yeah. know there's. You can't teach seven foot two, and I don't think Aboko was ever going to be that guy. Um, but you're right, Jim. I don't know why. You know, he was a solid player in high school in Rochester, but uh, you know, was he a ACC level guy? I don't know. In hindsight, no. <laughs> but yeah, it seems like they do roll the dice a little bit on big guys, hoping they pan out. And you know, it does take some some time for those guys to develop. But you know, I don't think any of us have seen that with him for yeah, three years. I anyway. think with a lot a lot of these guys that have transferred. I think that Bayham's trying to recruit a mix of four-year guys and one or two and done guys, and I think he's really miss whiffing on a lot of these guys that he's seen something in that he thinks he, they can develop. But um, you know the 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 million-dollar question, the last question to close out this season is: Is Malachi Richardson going to? declare for the draft or come back to Syracuse and I think it's obvious he's going to throw his name in the mix with the new rules now as long as he doesn't hire an agent he can go through all the workouts and and get a good idea of where he'd be projected to go and so with that being said I think he'll obviously throw his name in and I think he's going to find that he will be a late first round maybe second round pick and I would like to hope that he would come back next year where he would be the featured player in on this on this offense and you know he'd pick up another 5 to 10 shots a game 
and then at the end of next year potentially be a top 15 type of pick so i got him coming back but i've been wrong before <laughs> you know a matter of fact i'm I've, pretty much anybody in this situation you can assume they're going to be gone but i think this one might be different what's your take thing about Chris McCullough this time a year ago we were saying the same thing about Tyler Ennis at this time two years ago um if there's any inkling that they're going I think they're gone and it's it's you know the 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 selfish Syracuse fan in me says oh he should stay he's going to develop it'll make him a better player we don't know what these guys um what their personal situations are you know the types of money that they throw dangle in front of you and, and you know, do, do they give a crap about school? Are they going to? Are they you know spend a lot of time in class? Do they, is that you know even does that register with them, or is it just a bother? You know, would they rather just develop a, a, you know play basketball all day long, and that's all they've ever wanted to do, and that's all they want to get paid to do? And the NBA is the final goal, and here he is, you know, with a chance to go to the NBA right now. So whether he plays in the NBA or not to sign that contract. Mm-hmm. Um, you know he's he's made it. That's the end game, I suppose, as far as all he wanted out of Syracuse University. Um, Tyler Lydon staying. He said it. That's a bit of a relief, although I don't think we expected him to go. But it's kind of odd to be talking about this because if you go back to Selection Sunday, there was zero chance, really. I mean, maybe maybe a ten to fifteen percent chance that we'd even consider him not being on the roster next year. And then in a matter of a few weeks and really one half of basketball. Life Richardson, yep. You know, all of a sudden now this is a thing. You know, he might go. So (laughs) So it's the world we live in now. And that's the type of guy that you have to be able to recruit is a guy that can have that level of talent. And And when you do, you might lose him. And you have to be prepared to fill him. You know, so that's why you you made a good point. You got to be prepared as a coach to recruit a combination of four-year guys and one-and-done guys. The one-and-done guys are your you know your your flashes of brilliance, and you need those guys to be able to to do great things when you're down 14 against the top five team. You know, in the tournament, you need a, a one-and-done guy that's going to put the team on his back and go. But you also need four-year guys that can be leaders and take you through the grind and yeah. number one, get you into the tournament, get a high seed. And then, you know, and when, when things are down to be that leader and, you know, whether you're the guy putting the ball in the basket, but you're the, you're the guy that steadies the ship when things aren't going right, you know, and you need all those guys to be able to compete. And I think that's where we always question Kentucky being able to win championships with all the one and dones and they've managed to do it. And I think when they have, it's because it's a real special group of one and dones. Because otherwise, I think they, you know, they struggle. They've only got one ball to go around. I think this team was a nice blend. Ultimately, it was a nice blend of senior leadership and, you know, flashes of brilliance from young guys. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't, it, it, and that's. And I think as a coach, that's exactly how you want it to play out. You know, we'll talk about next year, and you know, will they have that? And you know, there's still obviously some questions unanswered as far as who's staying and who's coming. But um, you know, I think that's 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 the ultimate mix. I think. Um, you know, Carolina has that to a degree. Duke has had that. Um, Villanova has, uh, well, I, I guess the final, the theme of this year's Final Four was senior leadership. Yeah, true, true. Which is good for the game of college basketball, I think. Mm-hmm. Although ratings were down, supposedly, but, you know, when you put, put it on TBS, the ratings are going to be down. Because I did them no favors. You're not going to get the casual channel surfer who's like, oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot this game was on tonight. I'll watch this instead of uh, 
murder she wrote with Angel Lansbury or whatever. It doesn't make any sense why you would do that. I don't see what they had to gain by putting it in TBS. I That's think they do it. I think they do it because the, you need to make your cable properties re- relevant. You know, it's easy for people now to cut the cord and say, oh, I don't need to, even though the games were all streamed online. Um, but, you know, it's a, it's a reason to want to keep your cable package because TBS has these events on, whether it's the NBA All-Star Game or, um, you know, the NBA playoffs or, in this case, the national championship game of college basketball. Yeah. So, But it is. It should be on Channel 5, you know, network, CBS. Sure. But... <laughs> Then when it gets poor ratings and you can't demand the same advertiser dollars, then you might, you know, shoot yourself in the other foot instead. So now if we look at next year's team here, I think it's pretty imperative for our success that Malachi Richardson stays because look at our guard situation. Um, returning guards, Franklin Howard and Richardson. That's it. And then you got Tyus Battle coming in, uh six foot six combo guard. Uh, averaged 19.1 points a game, nine rebounds and five assists in high school this season. Gatorade Player of the Year in New Jersey. But um, that's pretty thin up top. I mean, like really thin. We we have some scholarships to fill, and apparently we're looking at um, a Columbia Redshirt Junior transfer, Grant Mullins, who would be able to play immediately, 44% three-point shooter. Uh, shooter, which is team yeah, uh, Michigan, Cal, and Hawaii also interested in this Mullins kid, apparently. Um, you know, but you're looking at Adrian Autry Jr., you know, is, is being like the third guard on this team if Richardson goes pro. So, I mean, the guard situation is scary. Now, we move on to forwards, front court players. Roberson in his senior campaign, you're hoping that he takes the step that all Syracuse big men take from their junior to senior year. Um, you know, going back to Rick Jackson, uh, that type of deal. And then you got Tyler Lydon, who will come back and have an outstanding sophomore year, I, I would assume. And uh, Dwan Coleman back, which, um, you know, really one of the great stories of the year was how Coleman was able to play all season long and, and really a solid contributor through the tournament. And then we had Pasquale Chiku, seven foot two, perfect. Guy, that's the one thing this team was missing was that you know force in the center of the zone, and then we're going to also add Matthew Moyer, uh, Gatorade Player of the Year in Ohio, uh, six foot eight forward, averaged sixteen and a half points a game, nine and a half rebounds a game in his senior year. Syracuse just one of three programs in the whole country, the others being Duke and Kentucky, to have two Gatorade Player of the Years uh, coming in. So, um, and then we're also looking at. Tarian Thompson, a 6'10 forward. He's a top 100 player. Providence, Georgetown, Seton Hall, Kansas, all in the running. He'd be a 2016, class 2016 guy. So um, we're looking pretty good um, in the front court, really thin in the guard spot. And I, I want to I find out who these, who these unknowns are going to come in and fill these scholarships because I think they're going to have to be key contributors. And hopefully there's a couple guards um, if Richardson stays, I think that we're a top ten team. If Richardson goes, you know we're we're down there eighteen, nineteen, twenty, and and re- really thin at guard. 
So looking at what we got coming back, what what what's the starting lineup and rotation next year? Based on what we know, we can't project on if we're going to get this Mullen kid or whatever, but based on who we know is coming back, which uh, assuming Richardson's coming back, I and mean, we can do it both ways. If Richardson's leaving or coming back, what's the starting lineup? I think you definitely have Frank Howard starting a point guard. I think if, if Richardson's back, he plays the two, and if not, then um, then Tyus Battle's going to play the two. It's my mind and my guess. Mm-hmm. I think you've got Tyler Lydon at the three. Yeah, he can extend, and you know, as, as as big as he is, I think you like having him on the perimeter and being able to slash a little bit. And I think you've got Roberson at four. You can't put him, you know, on the perimeter at all. And uh, and I think they start Coleman only because he's he's one of those guys that I think. <laughs> it, uh, there's a there's an implicit agreement between Beheim when he brings these guys in and the recruit that says you're going to start for as long as you're here and you know we we joked about you know Trish had that deal and Christmas had that deal you know and they would start as freshmen and they'd be ganked to the for 30 seconds in and Coleman's been that way for three plus years now and I don't I, I don't think you you I don't think you sit a senior um, for a, a transfer even when the transfer is seven two but I do think that Chukwe is going to get a lot more minutes at the five than Coleman will just because I think he's going to. I think he's going to just solidify the inside of that of that uh, two three. I think he's going to be the best guy in in the middle of that two three, probably since you know Pat Mello, yeah. who was in his second year was one of the elite def- defensive players in the country, which is why they lost that tournament game because he had to sit that tournament. Yeah. You know, Christmas was a fantastic offensive player as a senior, but didn't do as much in the middle of the zone. I think as Fat Mello did. And I think Chukwe can probably be that guy just because it's just about a sheer size. Yeah. As long as he can move reasonably well and, you know, understand that he's been practicing that two, three now for a year. So I would expect that he can, he'll, he'll log more minutes at the five than Coleman will, but I think Coleman will probably start. Yeah, I know. I agree with that hundred percent. I'm really excited. Next year, a lot is going to hang on um, Chikwu and, you know, can he, is he smart enough to play in the zone and not, get into foul trouble is he capable enough on the offensive end to be able to log significant minutes um yeah he's he's a big surprise you know w- w- to see what he does next year and so with the newcomers battle and moyer and chiku uh, it's going to totally transform, you know, this team next year, especially if Richardson's gone. It'll be almost like a whole new team. And Franklin Howard probably be becoming a 35-minute-a-game guy. And, you know, and, and Leiden, maybe Leiden even have to play up top of the zone once in a while. I mean, think about it. What, what are their options? If Malachi Richardson goes pro and either Howard or Battle get in foul trouble, what is Beheim's option? You know, to, to, to. You'd, you'd have to play Leiden at a two. I mean, mm-hmm. he handles it reasonably well, and and obviously can shoot it. I <laughs> wouldn't. It wouldn't shock me. Yeah, well, it'll be interesting to see who they bring in with these available scholarships. Now, there might be a JUCO. There might be, um, like I said, this kid from Columbia that's transferring. It's, uh, but we're we're gonna need some some somebody, and they're not just gonna. There's a lot more options now than there were two days ago. Just. By by virtue of the transfer, so it's I think that that'll help them. They'll, they'll find somebody. Somebody, you know, they, they, it's it'd be pretty easy to tell somebody right now as a you know incoming freshman, hey, you you, you might not start, but you're going to get quality minutes as the first guy off the bench in the backcourt. I think that's uh, 
that's a pretty easy sell for somebody who's undecided right now. Sure. So, well, next year I'll be here before you know it. Um, we'll be back here in November talking about uh, all this stuff, and we'll have a lot more of these questions answered. Um, hopefully, sooner than later, we find out what we're going to do with these scholarships. And kind of interesting that, you know, the NCAA takes all these scholarships away, but we've got more scholarships than we know what to do with right now. So <laughs> that that hasn't really <laughs> hurt us. Yeah, yeah, we don't need your scholarships. So <laughs> we don't need those 101 wins that were vacated, and we certainly don't need. Uh, I want a those back. because he made the final four anyway. I want the vacated wins back. That's just stupid. Um, That's ridiculous. And I'm waiting for the day when we the most wins. You know, they they gave Joe Paterno his wins back. You know, how about Bayheim? Um, yeah, how many wins they vacated from Roy Williams? Yeah. Vacated wins are just stupid. The games happen. People saw them. They won. It's just dumb. So, as the incredible title game ended with Villanova celebrating underneath all the confetti, it crossed my mind the question of, is who's got a better program, Villanova or Syracuse? I mean, they've been longtime league rivals, but in the Big East, we were uh, maybe... I'm saying a little too much here, but I felt always felt like we were the superior program. They were a great program. They were, you know, for what who they were, Villanova, um, definitely overachieving. I think uh, throughout the decades, um, but we each had one national title uh, for the longest time. They had one, and we didn't. Even though I still considered us a better program, but now they have two. We have one, and looking over the last ten years. Nova has one title. We have none. Last ten years, they have. We have two Final Fours. Nova has two Final Fours. We have three Elite Eights. Nova has three Elite Eights. Um, we have one more Sweet Sixteen than them, five to four. And, but we've also in the last ten years not gone to the NCAA tournament three times. One time due to penalties. Two times to off to the NIT. Nova's only missed it once. Uh, total record over the last ten years: Syracuse seventeen and eight in the tournament, Nova eighteen and nine. Now, granted, I'm just talking about in the NCAA tournament. A lot more to a program than what's in the NC, what you do in the NCAA tournament. But it's hard to say that we're a superior program. I think that we're on par with Villanova, and that's a little bit upsetting to me. With as well as we've um, done in the last five years. Uh, Nova's got two titles. We got one. It's uh, it's it's a little hard to take. Uh, well, what do you think? I'm what? not gonna I'm not gonna make that comparison based on titles, and the reason why is because Keith Smart's shot went in, and you know their shot went in at the end of mon- of Monday night. But national perception that don't go in, and and the entire equation changes. Oh yeah, yeah, no doubt. You know that's the fickleness of this tournament, and I don't. You know, you 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 get on a great run to win a title, and all credit to the teams that do it. Um, but there are great teams that don't win titles for just whatever reason. You know, so I I think the gauge of a program is the consistency, and you highlighted some some of those things where you know you're comparing Elite Eight, you're comparing Sweet Sixteens. Um, yeah, I think where. What's difficult to see, well, it's difficult to see them continue to play in the Big East and be able to wear the Big East uh, 
be able to wave that flag where you know Syracuse was <laughs> by virtue of football forced out effectively. Good for the Big East. Good, you know that 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 win. Yeah, no doubt. I'm really really happy. I'm much more pleased to see our old yeah. Big East brethren win than our current ACC brethren. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Crazy. That so fun. That, that, that was fun because you know we we all yeah you know, there there were teams when we growing up in the Big East where you know we you know. You develop a fondness for some of these teams, and some of these teams, you know, Georgetown obviously is one. You know, we don't have a fondness for, but I never had an issue with Villanova. They always, you know, always played the game the right way and had a good group of guys. I mean, you go back to the '85 team; that was a tremendously fun team to watch. But even back in the '90s, you know, the Kerry Kittles teams and you know, Scotty Reynolds teams, all those guys, you know, those yeah. are those those are some fun teams to watch. Yeah, they, they, I, and Jay Wright, yeah. just a, he's a fantastic coach and a guy that you really feel good for when you see good things happen to him. Yeah, I'm with you. I always had a little love for Villanova, no hate like I had for UConn or Pitt or Georgetown. Sure. Um, so I was glad to see him win, but it did cross my mind that you know I'd always assumed that geez, we got a better program than Villanova. So what's the verdict? Who's got a better program? I, I today, right now, April sixth, two thousand sixteen, Villanova. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I hate to say it, uh, you know they've been they've been a solid top ten team consistently for the past couple of years. They've they played head to head once. And it was a year and a half ago. It was in December of last year, and Syracuse lost in overtime. They should have won that game. It was down in Philly. Yeah, blew it. You know that was that was a decent gauge as to where they were at that time. And that was not a great Syracuse team. It was a team that you know may or may not even have made the tournament had they not self suspended themselves. So, but but you know Villanova is the class of the Big East right now, and Syracuse is not the class of the ACC. As much as we'd like to think they are, you know, they were tenth place in this conference. Well, a great second. run and, and redeemed themselves quite a bit in the last three weeks. But last team standing, it's, it's other than North Carolina, the upper tier of the ACC right now, and they've got to get back to that. I I don't know. I kind of think that our run to the Final Four puts us there, even though that we finished ninth or tenth in the league. I think the fact that we were one of the ACC teams that set the record for most in the Sweet Sixteen, and then we were one of two remaining, only to lose to another one. Um, that we've kind of staked our claim a little bit is being useful to the ACC. Agreed, absolutely agreed. I'm, I'm not going to belittle the run that this team just went on, um, you know, and say, well, they, you know, they beat crap teams on the way because I'm not going to say that at all. But I will say that this that was a three week snapshot, and if we had had the same conversation three weeks ago, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, would would you say Villanova was was in better shape than Syracuse three weeks ago? Heck yeah, you would. Yeah, well, you know that's the thing; it just changes. You know, in March, it just changes legacies and histories. Um, it can just change in, in a few weeks, a few games. So, right. Well, hey, we are running a little short on time here because we've uh, gone pretty deep into the episode before getting to Connor's Corner Trivia. So give me one question, one last Connor's Corner Trivia question for the um, 2015-16 season. One last one. You're putting me on a tough spot now. Um, all right, I got one for you. All right, it's a two-part question, so I'm going to cheat a little bit on that. Okay. Um, how many weeks – this was a Final Four team this year, mm-hmm. as we all know. How many weeks was this team ranked this year? One. Or wait a second, No. We we won the battle for Atlantis, and then we got in, and then we were out, and then we got back in again, or maybe no. I'm going to say one. I think we won possibly two, but I'm going to stick with one. 
You're not counting the final poll that just came out. They had a. Not counting the final ten. poll. No. Okay. Right. So I'm going to say one. One is correct. Yeah. Oh. I remember. I mean, obviously, you always want to get in, and we won the battle for Atlantis, and then boy, we were in. I think it might have been 18th. We were 14th. 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 I'm, I'm going off of only the AP poll. And then we after, after Atlantis, the team was six and zero, and and broke into the rankings at 14th. Hmm. That was November 30th. They proceeded to lose to Wisconsin and Georgetown, and then they fell out. Yeah. And then they're never back since. Now, here's so here's the second part of it. Okay. How many weeks of this season did this team garner a single vote in the AP poll? I think that we were still receiving a few votes after we lost to Wisconsin and Georgetown back-to-back. Um, so I'm going to say two. You underestimated. They four, In four different weeks, this team got votes. It's hard to believe. So they fell out after week four. They were 14th. Then they, they, they moved to 27th in the country in week five. That was after they lost the two to Wisconsin and Georgetown. And then they actually continued to get votes. They beat Colgate, and then they lost to St. John's. Yeah, that was it. (laughs) (laughs) I I can't say that was straight face. And they continued to get a vote, a couple of votes. They were tied for 39th. (laughs) I only had the number of votes, but, you know, somebody Mm -hmm. that wasn't even paying attention that didn't see that they lost to St. John's or have any clue about how bad St. John's was. Still got a couple of votes, and then after that, they fell off. Yeah. Whoever voted for him before woke up and said, "Wow, what, what was I thinking?" They lost to St. John's two weeks ago. <laughs> right. <laughs> How do you didn't tell me? And then in uh, week fifteen, on February the fifteenth, they got back in. That was after they won five in a row. Or got they got back in. They got votes. <laughs> they mm-hmm. beat Notre Dame, Georgia Tech, Virginia Tech, Florida State, and BC five straight. They were eighteen and eight, and they were. The 32nd in the rankings. And then they lost to Louisville, and they lost to Pitt, and they beat State, but then they lost to Carolina and Florida State and Pitt again. And so four weeks in this season, this team even got a vote, and only one time did they crack the rankings. And by God, they made the Final Four. Well, yeah, it's, pretty, it's, it's just so unbelievable. And it's the Final Four run salvaged the season. Um, but, you know, one thing about Connors Corner Trivia is it, it it, it uh, delivered every week of the season, unlike the Orange. We were getting top 25 votes in trivia contests all season long, so great job on another year of coming up with these questions, which, um, you know, so I, I really don't know how you do it, but uh, good luck next year. <laughs> Actually, I think you're starting to rehash some from maybe four or five years ago because we don't remember them. No, yeah, it's exactly, that's, that, that's, that's my trick. Okay, well, um, good work, appreciate it. I know it's one of our listeners' favorite segments since... Uh, and I, I enjoy, I enjoy it very much. So, um, coming up here on just eight minutes left in our season, in our episode, uh, two for the road. Quickly, most memorable moment or moments of 2015-16 for you? Uh, obviously the uh, the block against Gonzaga. Yeah. The uh, the the three possession sequence of the Richardson step back three. The Richardson chuck it off you off Brogdon's leg, and then the the uh, Leiden three. That yeah. three that three three play sequence that basically put them in the Final Four. And then I also remember the St. John's loss. Holy cow! 
Yeah. I was so excited for that game. Hopkins' first game as coach in Madison Square Garden. I was so excited, and it was just so disappointing and <laughs> terrible. So, so we'll take the good with the bad this season. Those, those three will stand out in my mind. Yeah, for me, it was when we won the Battle for Atlantis, we beat UConn. That felt great. And then we beat Texas A&M, who was a very good team. And, and both those teams seemed like too big you know they were big and we had questions about our our front court and I just remember being like yeah there's no drop off here you know this team is gonna go this team could win it all you know if we win this tournament we can win it all so that kind of very early in the season just was like bang here we are and it proved to be a bit of a mirage but at the end of the year there we were and my so that that's one of my memories and the other ones uh, it's it's that Gonzaga game and that Virginia game. Both of those will go down as two of the most greatest Syracuse games you know I've ever watched just because of the stakes and the way they fought back and once they got that ball rolling our way it was as good as any Syracuse basketball you could ever hope to see and so the feeling I got from those games um that's that's what I'll remember ultimately. I won't remember losing to Carolina. I'll remember that amazing uh, turnaround against Virginia and Gonzaga. That Gonzaga game gets overshadowed because the Virginia game was greater comeback than it's hard to believe because that Gonzaga game was an amazing comeback. So, um, so that, that's what I take away. And um, as we close the door on the season, as usual, the second part or two for the road is our prediction on – the upcoming games of the week so we're gonna next time we're back with you it'll be next season so early predictions for what we can expect from the team in 2016 and 17 i'll go first here um syracuse vegas odds came out they're 80 to 1 to win it all next year and i think those are pretty good odds i'll throw ten dollars down for a chance to win 800 on this team next year um i think with if richardson comes back I think, like I said, we're a top-five team, and we can expect to be back in the Final Four. If Richardson doesn't come back, we're going to have to hope Tyus Battle is special. And, um, you know, Moyer, to a lesser extent, is special. Or Leiden turns into a superstar. Um, So my prediction, if Malachi does not come back, probably a Sweet 16 team in a probably a fifth place, sixth place ACC team. Richardson comes back top five to ten in the country and ACC contenders. How about you, Brad? I'm not going to make a tournament prediction because I think we've figured out over the last three weeks this is the most fickle time of, of any sporting schedule in any sport because – the best teams don't always make the Final Four. The worst teams don't always get bounced in the first round. Like it's a, you, you, you can't predict it as much as you think you can. You just can't. You just roll with it. And it's just the most fun three weeks of the year. But for this team, for me, for me to say any team should make the Final Four, should make the Elite Eight, should win a championship, there's no way. You just never know. What I can say, though, is this team should be one of the top four teams in the ACC. I see them being better than Carolina because Carolina loses a lot and they're not getting as many of the elite recruits because they're not sure what's going to happen with Carolina's sure. potential sanctions. Yeah. So I think they're going to they're going to see a drop off. 
Um, Virginia's going to be solid, but they're going to see a drop off too. Brogdon's a great, great four-year leader, and they're going to they're going to suffer. I think I think Syracuse can can get ahead of them. Louisville's going to be on probation. Uh, you can count them out as far as um, you know a top four finish. I think Miami's still solid. Duke is going to be outstanding because they're getting the best freshman class probably of anywhere outside of Kentucky, maybe even better than Kentucky. Yeah, Grayson Allen coming back too. Right, right. So I think um, I think it's it's very appropriate to expect this team to have a top three or four ACC season. I expect that they will lose in the finals of the ACC tournament to Duke, and even then, that's a fickle kind of prediction. But sure. I think I think Duke and Syracuse are are you know one and two in this league next year with Miami probably are also in that mix, and you know probably Virginia. I think is your top four, and that's my prediction for how the season is going to go. I think this team. You know, can definitely win 25 games next year, and that's exactly where they ought to be. Yeah. Well, one thing you can count on is that we'll be back here to talk about it. And uh, Brad, another great season. Appreciate. Uh, I really look forward to, to the hour we spend talking Syracuse hoops every week, and I really appreciate all the listeners. Uh, a lot of them have reached out to us over the course of the season. We always like hearing from you. So. Um, so, you know, hook up with us uh, via Twitter or via email. You can email us at contact at fingerlakes1.com. And um, got about uh, got about two minutes here before we get out of here, Brad. Any uh, parting shots? Uh, it's just sad to see it come to an end. I love these teams. I love the, the being able to talk Final Four. And, you know, this is twice in the last four years we've been able to close the season with a Final Four team. And, you know, so, there are a lot of a lot of memorable teams that we've been able to enjoy Syracuse play in our lifetimes, and and <laughs> as crazy as it is to think about three weeks ago, this is this is one of them, and mm-hmm. and I'll I'll miss this team and and talking about them. But next year is a new year, and hopefully we can do the same thing. You got that right. So um, thanks everybody for joining us tonight and all season long on the Upstate Orange podcast. We'll be back again in early November with some improvements in another season of Syracuse University Basketball. You can subscribe to our feed on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, or via RSS. We're online at www.fingerlakes1.tv slash upstateorange. And important, too, to hook up with us now while you're thinking about it so when we do come back, boom, we're right there in your feed. So, for the professor, Brad Connor, I'm Jim Sinecropi. For everyone here at FingerLakes1.com, thanks for their memories, Cuse. Have a great summer, and let's go orange.